tonight, we're going to look at those that think they know God, but maybe aren't as close as they think they are. We're going to talk about how we've been really encouraging and pushing the reality that we can have confidence in our salvation, that you can have assurance of your salvation, but what we don't want to have is a false assurance. And what I mean by that is we don't want to think that we're saved and not actually be saved. We don't want to think that we know God, but then if we examine our life truly, that maybe we actually aren't as close to him as we think we are. And the conversation tonight is designed, um, there's going to be, uh, there's, there's a book that we're basing this series off of. It's called Stop Asking Jesus in Your Heart. If, you, if you'd like to read, read this book. It's really simple. I think it's like um, eight or nine chapters. It's a pretty easy read. So if you'd like to read, read the book. If you don't, that's why we're doing this series, okay? So don't feel bad. Um, but uh, uh, one of the things he talks about is when you when you bring up the reality of assurance in Christ, some people will think that they're assured and they shouldn't think they're assured. And then the other problem is people that don't think that they're assured actually are assured. Like you, you're good. Like you don't need to stress about it. But then other people are like not stressing about it and they should be stressing about it. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Like they should be like thinking about it a little bit. So we're going to kind of break this down, see what that means, and hopefully give us all confidence, not because we think that we're good, but because we know Jesus. That's the goal for tonight. And I've titled this message, if you want to write it down, Finishing Faith. Finishing Faith. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, it's the first book in the New Testament. The New Testament can be broken up into a bunch of different books and ideas. The first four books in the New Testament, we call them the Gospels. And they're basically the life of Jesus. And it's four different accounts or four different authors describing to us the life of Jesus, highlighting and pointing out to us different aspects about who he was and what he did. Now, Matthew chapter 7, we're in the middle, well, really the end of one of the best sermons ever preached. This is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Why? Because Jesus preached this sermon on a mount. What's a mount? Great question. It's like a hill. Sermon on the Hill. It didn't sound as cool, so they're like, Mount. It sounds more theological. Like the theologians back in the day, as they like sat and like had long white beards, they're like, what shall thou call this sermon? And they're like, on thy mount. So Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 21. We read this. Jesus is speaking. He says, not everyone. Somebody say everyone. everyone. Who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day. Now, the day that he's speaking of would be understood by the audience known as the day of the Lord or the final days or after we breathe our last here on earth. And the idea is when we're standing before God on that day. It's a big day. It's not just like on a Tuesday. Could be on a Tuesday, we don't know, but it's, it's a specific day. It's an era, it's this idea. He says, on that day, uh, uh, let me just say, Lord, Lord, uh, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
And then I, notice Jesus is the one there on that day. He says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I'm going to read these verses just one more time. I'm going to go through it quicker this time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So God, we ask again in these moments that you would speak to us. And Lord, as we deal with kind of a heavy subject, kind of a big concept for us to consider and really examine our own life in, would you, God, give us faith and assurance in who you are. And thank you that anyone and everyone can have relationship with you through the blood of your son, Jesus. We give you all the glory. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. So if you've heard it, um, just bear with me. Humor me for a moment. Um, a f- probably, oh gosh, it was 10 years ago. Do you remember when you were a kid? This is, this is not the story. This is besides the point. I remember being a kid. Maybe you didn't have this experience. I remember being a kid and my parents telling stories like, ah, 15 years ago or like 20 years ago. And I was like seven and I'm like, the farthest back I can go is like maybe two years ago. Like when I can remember, but before that, it's like kind of all a blur. You know, Shane has memories of when he was like six weeks old. He's like very specific memories. He's a weird guy. Me, like my memory starts like probably when I was like, you know, six, seven. I can't really remember what I had for dinner last night. How am I supposed to remember what I had, what I was doing when I was seven? Anyways, I remember hearing people say like 15 years ago and thinking that was so cool. Can't wait till I'm old enough to say 15 years ago. It's not as cool as you thought it was. You just feel really old. Anyways, 10 years ago or so, um, I had the opportunity. I, I went to work at the Emmys, which is like the, um, the TV awards show, right? And we were working at the Emmys. I'm going to fast forward because a lot of you have heard this story. But one of my jobs at the Emmys were to take tickets for the celebrities going from uh, the actual event where people received awards And then right across the street, there was this party uh, called the Governor's Ball. And all of the celebrities were going from the ceremony to the Governor's Ball. And this is where they were going to eat cake pops. There was people dancing literally like on spinning stages in the middle of the room. There was acrobatics hanging over people's tables. I'm not even lying. Like people are eating their dinner and there's acrobatics like doing flips. It was the craziest thing. Anyways, part of my job was taking tickets as people walked in. And the tickets were, they were paper tickets, but they had these holograms on it that when you covered this light on them, the secret message would be revealed. And that's how we knew the tickets were authentic so people could come into the party. And I remember standing there, and thank God it wasn't through my line, but there was this person that was walking through that had just won an award. It was, it was a guy from a show called Mad Men, and he literally had just won an award for that show. And he's walking in. He has his Emmy in his hand, right? Like it's a statue. It doesn't have wings on it or something. I don't even know. It's like a big statue. He's holding it in his hand, and he walks to his line, and the person's like, ticket, sir. And he's like, I don't have my ticket. And the guy's like, sorry, can't let you in here. And the guy literally is like standing there with his Emmy and he basically says like, don't you know who I am and can't you see what I've done? 
like, I belong here. And the guy's like, sorry, no ticket. You can't come in. I have very clear orders that if you don't have a ticket, you can't come in here. And literally, the guy went and sat down on the sidewalk, like on like the curb, and called his manager and was like furious. And he's like, where's my ticket? I want to go to the party. And they had to figure out getting this guy a ticket. Because listen, just because of who he was and what he had done did not mean he had entrance to the party. Just because he had a famous name and just because he had done some great acting performance that caused him to win an award, it did not mean he was going to walk into that party. He needed a ticket. That's basically what we're seeing in this story. We see Jesus describing a moment where people are standing before him on that day, this end of the age, this great day, the judgment day, standing before God and he says, I don't know who you are. Your name's not on the list. And the people, they respond, and they're like, no, 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 no. We said your name, and don't you see all the things that we've done for you? And Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know who you think you are. I don't know what you think you've done. I don't know your name, and unless I know you, unless you have relationship with me, you're not coming into this party. And so Jesus is turning people away that thought that they had relationship with him. And although they think they should get in, they don't have the proper requirement for entrance. I want to talk tonight, point number one, about the falsely assured, about people like these characters in this story. And we don't, uh, it doesn't seem like this is a fictitious event, but it sounds like this is a reality that will happen for some, that people are standing before God. They want to enter into eternity with him. And Jesus denies them entrance because he doesn't know them. And Jesus points out that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, that just because you've said his name does not make you on his team. That just because you've cried out, Lord, Lord, doesn't make you a part of his team. Now, this is the confession of Jesus as Lord is some type of confession that Jesus is God. Right? Uh, in fact, uh, the... the the scripture talks about that no one can call him Lord unless they've, been, uh, they've understood it through the Spirit. That, that, that the reality of them saying, Lord, Lord, they've had some sort of confession or even some sort of conversion to make them think that they know God. They either prayed a prayer or they sang a song or they they asked Jesus into their heart in some way or another, and yet their saying wasn't enough for salvation. And Jesus says, just because you've said my name doesn't mean you're on my team. He also says that not everyone who, who does what even God wants them to do will be on my team. He describes people that have performed miracles. That's, that's remarkable, right? Like nobody's just running around performing miracles on their own. He, he describes people that have cast out demons. Like I've never done that. I've never done, I, 
I've never even really seen that. Right? He's talking about people that have performed miracles. Can I tell you that I have never, never performed a miracle, right? I've never, like, I've never been like, okay, you're healed now. Like, I've, I've, been, I've been a part of process praying for people and watching God do the miraculous in people's life. But I have never had the faith enough, like the Apostle Paul or, the, or Peter being like, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And a person that had been paralyzed, stand up and walk away. I've never done that. These people, though, they've done something like that. Performed miracles. They've, they've, uh, uh, they've cast out demons. He says they've prophesied. They did amazing things for God, yet they're not saved either. Okay, I want you to understand the weight of what Jesus is saying. Are you guys feeling it? Jesus is saying, these people have called on my name, and these people have done the miraculous. If I can rewind for a moment, go back like three, four, five weeks to part one of this series. My primary point, my primary idea of how to have assurance of your salvation is you got to call on the name of Jesus and you got to do what he says. And now fast forward to right here. And we are reading about people that have called on the name of Jesus, right? And are doing good godly things. And yet Jesus says, I don't know you. I don't know you. Here's the key. You can write this down. Good things don't make you right before God. And bad things don't always make you, or excuse me, don't make you wrong before God. I'll explain that. But good things don't make you right before God. And bad things can't keep you from God. Now notice, notice in the scripture these people... These people that are standing before God on this day. These are not wicked, evil, sinful people, are they? It's not like they get there and they're like standing before the pearly gates. I'm adding this. I don't know what it would look like. But they're standing before the pearly gates. And God's out there. And he's like, I'd let you in here, but you're just too messed up. Like you, do you remember what you did that night? I remember what you did that night. You're not getting in here. That's not the scene that we see at all. These are people that probably had their noses held high, riding in on their self-righteous high horse and saying like, open the pearly gates, I've arrived. (laughs) I've done all of these amazing things. I'm such a good godly person. I went to church so many times. I sang. I had all the worship songs memorized. I didn't even need to use the screen. I'm just, open the doors. I'm here. The party can start. And Jesus is like, hold on. I'm going to need some ID, some verification, please. And he's like, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't know you. I don't know, the, I don't know this name. I, I've, never, I've never met you before. Listen, good things, church attendance, being a good person doesn't make you right before God. And listen, no matter how much you've sinned or how much you've failed, that can't keep you from God. 
Relationship with Jesus saves, and it's only through relationship with him. It's not about what you do or what you don't do that allows access into what God has for you. It's about having relationship with Jesus who loves you, that paid it all for us so that we could know him. And yet these these people, they think they know him, and yet they don't know him or he doesn't know them. Their confidence was in themselves and what they experienced rather than in Jesus. Doing Christian things, listen to me, doing Christian things does not make you a Christian any more than playing basketball makes you in the NBA. It doesn't work. Just because you've done Christian things, it doesn't make you a Christian. And you could stand there and all day long be like, you don't understand, I'm such a good person. You don't understand I like sing worship songs. You don't understand I prayed one time. You don't understand like I, I'm a Christian. He says, I, I'm sorry. You have a false assurance. Why? Because your assurance is in yourself, who you are and what you've done, rather in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. You notice that? When they stood there, their argument was not, no, you don't understand. I confess the name of Jesus. He paid it all for me. He, he, I was a wretched sinner. I was, I, was in, I was in the mud. I was in the muck. I was desperate. I had nothing of myself. And I called on the name of Jesus, and he pulled me from that pit, and he set my foot on a rock, and he's given me a song. You don't understand. Jesus paid it all for me. That's not their argument. Their argument is, look what I did, though. Look what I've accomplished, though. Look at how good I've been, though. And Jesus is like, I don't care how good you've been. I also don't care how bad you've been. Because Jesus, the cross, covers it all. And he wants us to understand that you can have false assurance. Why? Because your assurance is in yourself. It's not in Jesus. False assurance. I also want to talk tonight, number two, about faith-filled assurance. Because God wants us to be confident in our salvation. God wants us to understand and recognize that we are saved. He does not want you to live your Christian life wondering or worrying whether or not you're saved. It's not what, God wants you to be more than a conqueror. God wants you to live an abundant life, a good life, a, a worry-free life. In fact, Jesus said it was a command, do not worry. That's the life he has called for you to live so we can have confidence in him. How do we have this type of assurance? How can we be confident that our encounter with Jesus and our experience with Jesus was legit? Number one, we got to know and love Jesus. We got to know and love Jesus. It's all about him. It's simple. The, the Christian life is simple. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about what I have or haven't done. It's not about where I've been or where I haven't been. It's not about how many times I went to church or how many times I didn't go to church. It's all about Jesus. And the main problem with these people is that he never knew them. They thought they knew him, but he didn't know them. You know the difference, right, between knowing about someone and knowing someone? You know the difference, right? Like you could go online and find out everything about anyone. 
Like you can find out where they went to school, how old they are, their favorite ice cream flavor, where they live right now. In fact, through social media, you can find out where people are right this very second. Like the FBI know right now where you are. They're like tracking your phone right now. Like when you get up to go to the bathroom, they're like, yep, we know where you're going. They probably can see us right now too. What's up, FBI? We're nothing to see here. We're good. Right? Like, like we can find out, we can find out everything about anyone. But listen, let me tell you, just because you know everything about them does not mean you know them. Right? You can you can find out every stat, every statistic, where they are, how they like what toothpaste they use, like where like their favorite restaurant. You can find out everything, but that doesn't mean. You know them. The big difference Jesus shows us is that these people never actually knew him. They didn't have relationship with him. They knew tons about him and even did some Christian things, but they did not have relationship with him. And a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with Jesus will develop into love for him, love for his word, and love for his people. How do you know if you love Jesus? Well, do you Do you love the person of Jesus? Do you get excited about who he is and what he's done? Are you thankful for him? Do you love his word? Do you get excited when you get to open up his word? It's not a task. It's not a a ritual. It's not an obligation. It is excitement because I'm just so thankful that the God of the universe wants to talk to me. And this is the way he has told us that he would talk to me. Do we love his word? And do you love his people? Are you thankful for the church? Are you thankful for his family? Are you glad to be a part of the family of God? Now, remember, this is my points here about faith-filled assurance are the same as what the people on the other end thought that they had. The difference was where their confidence was. The difference was where they placed their assurance. So we've got to know Jesus. We've got to cry out, Lord, Lord, just like these guys did. And... We've got to do the will of God. We've got to do what God wants us to do. Verse 21, the end, he says, But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Relationship with God leads to living as God wants you to live. But here's the thing. Doing the will of God means you have to know the will of God. Right? If, 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 if I said to you right now, Hey, I want you to do my will. Just do what I want you to do. Your question to me would be, well, what do you want me to do? Right? That would be like a, and I'd just be like, nope. Just do what I want you to do. Now, you would be like kind of stressed out because there's like an infinite amount of things that I could want you to do. Like, what do you want me to do? Like, do you want me to clean up? Do you want me to bring you food? Do you want me to... Buy you a coffee? Well, yes, to all of those things, if you're interested. But how, right? In order for for you to do what I want you to do, you've got to know what I want you to do. And so for Jesus to say it's about him who does the will of God, the point, the question we should ask is, well, what's the will of God? And how do we find out the will of God? Well, you find out the will of God by walking in obedience to God. If, you, if you've ever asked the question, what is God's will for my life? I can tell you right now, walk in obedience to God. It's simple. Just find out what God wants you to do. Where do we find out? His word. And do that. Walk in obedience to God. You then find yourself doing the will 
of God. But you can't do the will of God without knowing the will of God. But let me say this as a side note and as a, a hopefully encouragement. This doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Okay? Doing the will of God and doing what God wants you to do does not mean you're going to now from this day on live a perfect life. Until you are face-to-face with Jesus and you are no longer trapped in this life that we're experiencing, you're going to fail. You're going to mess up. Like, nobody in this room is perfect. Like, every one of us are messed up. And some of us might have more scars and bruises along the way because we've messed up more or more frequently, but all of us are messed up. All of us have failed. All of us have, are imperfect. And even though we're forgiven, we're still imperfect. The, the tension and where we need to find yourself, and one of the ways you can be confident in your salvation is whether or not you wrestle with your sin. Whether or not you wrestle with your sin. What do I mean by that? How do you feel about your sin? Do you struggle? Do you wrestle? Do you sometimes fall? Do you ask God to cleanse you and help you? That is a mark of relationship with God. The struggle with sin is not an indicator of not being saved, but an indicator that you are saved. Let me say this again. This is so good, and I think it's freeing for us. The struggle for sin or the struggle with sin is not an indicator that you're not saved, It's an indicator that you are saved. How? Well, because if you weren't saved, you wouldn't care. If you weren't saved, you'd be like, yep, this is just me. I'm going to follow my feelings. I'm going to follow my urges. I'm going to give in. I'm going to do it. No remorse, no regret. This is me. I'm just called to live my truth, myself. Like I'm just going to be me and find my truth and live my life and do what I want to do. No, the the test that you're saved is that you have this wrestle, this internal conflict that you go, I know what I'm supposed to be doing and I know what I'm not supposed to be doing and yet I find myself doing what I don't want to do and I find myself avoiding the things that I know I'm supposed to do. Welcome to being a Christian. Like this is the, this is it. (laughs) We struggle. Why? Because there is a process going on in your heart and in your life where God is transforming you day by day into the image of his son, Jesus. And there's a problem with you. It's called you. (laughs) But God is changing you. And the struggle for sin is not an indicator that you're not saved, but it is a powerful reminder that you are. Are you struggling? Welcome to the team. Welcome to the club. Are you fighting? Are you you finding victory in Jesus? Not in yourself, but you're dependent upon him. And you've got good people around you that you can talk to. And you've got ways that you can get back up and ways that you can build up uh, uh, parameters around yourself to make those easily besetting sins, the thing that you're drawn towards. You can make it more difficult for yourself to fall into. Are you strategizing and praying and scheming and talking? Are you being as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove to find out ways that you can avoid and overcome sin and do what God wants you to do? If you are, you're following Jesus. If you are, you're trusting in him and you're finding what it's like to be a follower. All right, final thing. You guys still with me? I'm almost done. Worship team, you guys can come up here to help me close just so you know I am almost done. Number three, you got to finish faith. How do we have faith-filled assurance? 
How do we have faith-filled assurance? We've got to know Jesus and we've got to love him. We've got to do his will. And in order to do his will, we've got to know his will. And we've got to finish faith. Again, look at verse 21. He says, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Does. That word does is an important word. This word does, it, it, it carries the idea it's a continual doing. It isn't a one-time did, but a continuation. Right? It doesn't, it doesn't say he who did the will of the Father. Like I did it once. I've done the will of the Father in that area or that situation or in that moment. The word does is it's a completed word. Like when we say like I done something, it's done. But this idea, it carries the idea that it's like still doing. <laughs> like he who does the will of the Father, who accomplishes it, but also continues to accomplish it. It isn't a one-time did, but a continuation. The people that argue with God, they say, did we not prophesy? Did we not do miracles? Did, did we not worship? Did we not go to church? Did we not go on that summer trip? Did we not have like tears in our eyes when we called out to you? Did we not have that, that moment? Did we not? Didn't we do all these things? These people probably aren't lying. I would doubt that the, the, the characters in the story that Jesus is describing to us that are like, Jesus, we called on your name and we did all these things. I can't, I can't imagine that they're making it up, right? You're not going to stand before God and lie. I go, no, no, we, remember we did those things. You must have been in the other room, I guess. No, they're not lying. But listen, there's a difference between experiencing and accomplishing, isn't there? There's a difference between experiencing something and accomplishing something. Like you can go and experience a part of something but not accomplish it. Right? It's, it's one thing to go like watch someone run a marathon. Right? You experience the marathon. Right? Maybe you're even that guy on the marathon that like stands at the table at mile marker like 12 and hands them like the little cup of water and like the jello pouch and they're like and keep running. You know what I'm talking about? We're like and then you're there like, yeah, keep going. And you pick up their trash. and You can do it. Like you experienced the marathon, didn't you? Did you accomplish a marathon? I don't think so. I don't think so. You don't have that sticker on the back of your car that says like 24 point, what is it, 6? My favorite ones is 0, 0.0. Like, I'm good. <laughs> you seen those ones? Like, yep, yeah, I'm good. That's me. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. There's a difference between experiencing something and accomplishing something. The big thing we have to understand about genuine salvation and less than genuine faith is where it ends. Someone who is truly saved by Jesus Christ will walk with him until the end. Someone who's not genuinely, genuinely saved will not. Right? Like we overcomplicate it. Someone that's saved will walk with him till the end. Someone who's not won't. 
Because we say this all the time here. It's not about walking with God for a little bit of time. It's about walking with God for a lifetime. We don't want your Christianity to be a season that you went through and talked about when you were in youth group. And then once you graduated, you moved on to bigger and better things. It's not about a little bit of time. It's about a lifetime committed to Jesus, walking with him, living by faith, going in his direction, doing the things he wants you to do, accomplishing the things he wants you to accomplish, going in his direction. It's about a faith that, listen, Listen to me, finishes, finishes. That's the word. Anybody can start something. It takes, it takes perseverance. It takes hope. It takes desperation. It takes commitment to finish something. And so when we say, Lord, Lord, and when we call on the name of Jesus, listen to me, please listen to me. Don't let it be for a moment. Don't, be it, don't let it be just something that you felt in youth group on that one night and tears came down your eyes and then you never did anything with it again. Let it be for a lifetime, a commitment to Jesus. The difference between saving faith and a faith that ends up like this is where it all finishes. Where it all finishes. And even if things started really emotional and seemed genuine, the true test of salvation is where you end. For most of you guys, you're very early on in your journey. But listen, we're here to encourage you. We're like our goal as followers of Jesus all together is to simultaneously be the ones that are running in the marathon and simultaneously being the ones that are handing each other little cups of water that we can drink and crush and throw down. Like our job is to run together. Our job is to recognize that we are in this together. We don't want to see anybody falling away or walking away or giving up or sitting down. We are in this together, and our eyes are fixed on Jesus, and we are running our race with endurance, and we want to see him at the end because we don't want to hear him say, depart from me, I never knew you. We want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest. Enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy paradise. You belonged here. Why? Because you finished you finished. You've started. You're here. You've started. You've got to finish. Each day you're going to take up your cross like Jesus said. You're going to deny yourself like Jesus said. And you're going to follow him. It's a faith that finishes.